May that be the desire of each of our hearts today, to be led by the Savior, to follow him. This morning, as we come to our study in 1 Peter chapter 2, I am overwhelmed and amazed at how in the providence of God, the songs selected for this particular day all fit together perfectly with our message. And mind you, it's a message that was originally scheduled to be preached last week. But in God's providence, he postponed it and then arranged each and every song to fit just perfectly. My faith has found a resting place. Our faith is built upon the changeless Word of God. Our faith is in the Savior revealed in His Word as the living Word. Jesus Only Jesus, may our focus and eyes be upon him. We sang the hymn, the church is one foundation. The church, as we're going to find out today, is like a spiritual building, a house that is built. And it is built upon one foundation. And that foundation is Christ, who is also the chief cornerstone. And then we sang the hymn, near my God to thee. And though as we're going to learn here this morning in relation to the whole building of how important it is for each and every one of us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, only Jesus, and be drawing, coming to him day by day. And then as Joel and Anna just now sang, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. As we are drawing nigh to him, surrendered to him, may he lead us day by day. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, as this morning we look specifically at verses 4 through 8. Again, to remind you, this comes in context after we have incredible and wonderful, glorious things said of who we are in Christ Jesus and the inheritance that we have and our salvation that is guaranteed We are called upon to gird up the loins of our minds, hope to the end. We are called upon to be holy in all manner of life, in all manner of conversation, holy as God is holy, knowing that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ we've been bought. Therefore, we have love, love one for another, a love that ought to be fervent, knowing that we have a guaranteed hope and promise that is according to the word of God and that word which abideth forever. And as we learned last time we were here, as we consider that word, may we as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Which leads us right into verse 3 and our passage today. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And indeed, if we today have put our faith in him, have tasted that he is gracious. Now that we've tasted he is gracious, look with me at these next verses of something that is so important for all of us. To whom, that's the Lord who's gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. 
Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Gracious God, we indeed have tasted and known that you are gracious. And today as we look to your word, as we open it, as we study it and as I preach it, Lord Jesus, dear Spirit of God, move among us and teach us. Lord, may we know the reality and the importance of you as our cornerstone, of you as our living stone, of you as our source of life and all things. And may we take your word for it and believe in you. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to understand. Help us to apply this. Spirit of God, move in our hearts, and if there be one, who has not believed on you, has not made you their foundation or chief cornerstone, that today they would believe. And Lord Jesus, I pray that the warnings of this passage for those who do not believe and are disobedient to your gospel, that they would be warned and that you would convict them and show them the error of their way. Move among us, for it is you that we seek this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me again at verse 4. It says, to whom, that is, the gracious Lord, and specifically continues on to be described as one who is a living stone. It describes us as coming. Coming. We are described previously as newborn babes who are to have that passionate desire for the sincere milk of the Word, the Word of God a passionate desire for the giver of that word, for God himself. And we will taste and see that he is gracious. And it is then to him we come. The Lord Jesus here in this verse is described as a living stone. Later it's expanded upon not only that he is a living stone, but that he is a chief cornerstone. He's not just some stone you find out in the field. He is a stone that is there as a reference point. He is a stone that is there for stability for and for structure. And we need to be coming to him. Do you see that? Coming to him. This is not a reference of one who comes to Jesus in faith for salvation at one point. This speaks of those who have come to Jesus have become a part of his body, and who continually are coming to him. They are continually seeking him. As we sang earlier, they are continually drawing near to him. 
They are continually looking to him as the foundation. They are continually, or may I rephrase that, they, we are continually, or ought to be continually looking to him and aligning our lives, our way of thinking, our everything with him as the chief cornerstone, as the one who is not just some dead cold stone, as some prophet or some great teacher of the history, but one who is alive. He's not dead and we look back and model our lives after his teachings. No, he is alive and we model our lives to him, both his teachings that he gave in the past and has revealed to us in his word, but it's also in aligning to him because he's alive and he lives inside of you. Isn't that exciting? And so do we, continually knowing that he is gracious, continually come, come to him. We, it is to Christ, the one whom we are coming, coming as unto a living stone. This stone is paralleled as a cornerstone. You might have noticed I have a little wall up here this morning, and I'm so thank you, thankful to Nathan Vanderwer for bringing this this morning. He was building a wall at his house yesterday, and he sent out a picture of them working, and I go, oh, that fits perfectly in my sermon. I wonder if he has any extra bricks, and he did. So he brought them over for us this morning. You see, a cornerstone is that stone that is set by which all the other stones are aligned. The cornerstone is this stone, right here. That stone is set first. When you set this up, is that how you did it, Nathan? I don't see, I don't see where he slipped away to. The, the, this is the cornerstone, this one right here. And when this stone is set, and that stone was set, and that stone and that, and all the rest of these stones, they were aligned to the cornerstone. The cornerstone was set exactly the way it needed to be. He asked me, how do you want the wall set up? I said, I want it so that it's, the, the corner is facing the auditorium. And so there it is, bye. It is, it is aligned and it's set right there. He's the chief cornerstone. Now as we learn in this analogy, as it continues on, it describes the fact that we, as a church, we as Christians are a spiritual house. And this concept is not unique to the writings of Peter. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write, but the Holy Spirit also inspired Paul to write. And Paul also speaks of a spiritual house that is built up. See, we here are described also as lively stones. Yes, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he's not dead, and he's alive, and he's the cornerstone, and we like lively stones, are all built up into not just a wall like this, but into a house. In fact, Paul described it as the temple. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, this question is asked, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? That's another way of describing lively stones. We are like stones with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, whereby we have life, and all together, all of us, are built up as a temple of God, just like these bricks could be formed and structured as this building is built. This building, though, is, is very minute in compared to the spiritual one being described here. For the church is not this building built with these bricks, 
but is rather you who are lively stones built up together upon the foundation of Christ and aligned to him as the chief cornerstone. Paul also, in Ephesians chapter 2, spoke of this frame. He wrote there, in whom, that is Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, each one of us who have the Spirit of God, who have received the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit, we are lively stones and we are all built together and pieced in our particular place, aligned to Jesus Christ, the living stone who is our cornerstone. Now, in considering all of this, it says here, to whom coming? To whom coming? We're coming to Christ, and then it sets him as the lively stone. Can I tell you what sometimes we're tempted to do? See, we're all like sheep, and what do sheep have a way of doing? Going astray, going our own way. Now, when the mason places these stones here that made this wall, or when Nathan arranged these stones here this morning, he put them where they got put. And you know what? None of these stones said, hey, 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 I want to be the chief stone. I want to be the chief stone. I want to be the chief stone. Wouldn't that be silly? if the stones objected to Nathan as to where he was going to put them? Or when Nathan positioned this stone here and this stone says, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be so many degrees off, off of, of north or south. I want, to be, I want to be just a few degrees different. Would that work? What would you think of it if the stone insisted upon being pushed a few degrees different than everybody else? Because why? I need some individuality, don't I? You see the analogy here. We, as coming to the lively stone, we are looking to him and coming to him and seeking to be his as the one who is building his church and aligned with him. I mean, think about how silly it would be. Oh, you know, if this stone here decided, I want to be a little different. How many of you would like to buy a house or if, if we had one of these bricks and it was knocked out like that one there? What would you all think of that? Oh, we probably can't see that one. That one's maybe a little stubborn. Let's maybe knock this one out. I mean, what would we do if we had this wall and everybody wanted to be arranged their own different way? What'd you think of this wall? That looks like a disturbing wall, doesn't it? You see, because they're not coming into the lively stone. They're ignoring the lively stone. They want to do their own thing and go their own way. You know, that doesn't work. It doesn't work in a wall, and it doesn't work in the church. No, no. We are all lively stones, but we are coming to the living stone who is Jesus Christ. And how important that is, is because the builders, speaking here, and we're going to learn more about this a little bit later, in Israel, the elders and the rulers, 
They didn't like Jesus as the cornerstone, and they rejected him, and they disallowed him, which we're going to come and talk about a little bit later as it continues on. So we, as, as lively stones, let us not be as the builders who disallow Christ, Jesus, as the cornerstone, but let us be as God who has chosen him. God is the one who has chosen him as a lively stone to be the cornerstone. And he's not only chosen and elected, he is precious. Now, these stones aren't all particularly precious. But out of all of the stones in the church, in the temple of God, which is made up of lively stones of people, the most precious is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's chosen as the chief cornerstone, and he is precious. We learn about this precious before. The blood of Jesus Christ is precious. He is precious, and he is chosen of God. So if he is chosen of God, let us be coming unto him. Day by day, every day, let's look to him and say, I want to be straight with Jesus. I want him to be my cornerstone. Every day when I'm structuring my life and when I'm considering what I believe and what I think of life, I'm looking to the cornerstone. I'm looking to Jesus to align with what he says and what he thinks and with the strength and power and life he has given me. So as we consider this, let us be coming unto him as the living stone. He is alive. Oh, and this results in a priesthood. This results in a priesthood. You see, we've seen the description here of this spiritual house, also described as a temple, wherein the Spirit of God dwells. Do we conduct ourselves as holy priests? Do you know what is significant about being a priest? Being a priest means that you have direct access to God. We do not come and travel all across the world to come to Jerusalem to find a temple made of stones, to there find a mediator, a priest, for one whom can go and bring us and our requests and our petitions before God. No, as those who are the lively stones, those who have the Holy Spirit within us, in fact, we are the very temple itself, we have instant and immediate access to God. And as such people, do we live holy? And are we holy in our priesthood? Recognizing across the page in chapter 1, verse 16, that we are called to be holy as he is holy. Do you see again the aspect here of looking to our holy one who is our chief cornerstone and for ourselves to align our lives as he is holy but the priesthood is not just access to God, which is an incredible privilege. It is a privilege to offer sacrifices. Now, this concept is perhaps gross to some of us, and it's perhaps foreign to us. And in fact, it is definitely foreign to most of us. But in the Old Testament, we had a whole system of sacrifices that was established to show us of our need for a substitute. And there were different kinds of sacrifices, some that were there to cover or be an atonement for sin, meaning that the animal died instead of me. And that's ultimately the sacrifice that Jesus paid. 
But there were other sacrifices that would be brought to the temple that were sacrifices of thanksgiving and sacrifices of praise. In the New Testament, we learn about spiritual sacrifices. Over in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, we read this, By him, therefore, this is by Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. One of the sacrifices that we can give every single day as one of these lively stones, we're part of the temple, but not just part of the temple, we're priests too, offering sacrifices, is sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. We need to be a thankful people. We need to be a people who, as we are coming nigh to God, are praising Him for who He is. No matter where He's put us. Think about a building. This, this building doesn't have any particular precious stones, does it? Even though we do have a cornerstone. It's actually right out here in the front. And it, oh, it's a special stone. It's got carving and letters engraved in it. It's a special stone. But think about this building. Do you think there's some stones that aren't very special? I can think of some. I mean, not to be crass, but who wants to be the stone down underneath the men's restroom toilet? Ugh. That's not a very honored position, is it? But do you see how that stone's pretty important? Where the stones are placed, how they're placed, and yet there's that all alignment so that the building comes together. This is the same illustration that's paralleled with our body, by the way, of the church also being a body. And we have different members in different parts and so forth. It's fit together. And sometimes, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is warned against, we get discontent with where we're at and what we have and what we do. Well, let us be priests who are continually praising God and with the fruit of our lips giving thanks, giving to his name, praising his name as all the while we are living stones coming nigh to him as our chief cornerstones. And you know what this says here? This is acceptable unto God by Christ Jesus. As we are giving thanks and as we are offering up these sacrifices of praise, and there's another great sacrifice that's described in the New Testament. Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we read this from the Apostle Paul. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And so we as lively stones ought to be holy and offering ourselves up as sacrifices to God as we continually come to him and allow him to position us just as he see fit, sees fit within his church. He will build his church. He will build his church. As we continue on here, it tells us of a scripture. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Peter quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 118, when he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, Elect, that is chosen. Precious, just like it described up in verse 4. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. See, God is saying, I've set a chief cornerstone. I've set one. And the one, you see, this is confounded. <laughs> this is a shame, what you see here. 
This, this, is, this is shameful. This is, a, this, this is terrible. This is confounded. But the one who believes in Jesus Christ as the stone, the chief cornerstone, oh, he won't be confounded. He won't be ashamed. In fact, this is quoted in, um, in Romans chapter 9, and the word confounded there, which is coming originally from the Hebrew in Psalm 118, is here translated, and Peter is confounded there translated as ashamed, shall not be ashamed. Remember the guy who wrote this? Well, it ultimately is the Holy Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit used a man to write this letter, Peter. Can I remind you about a conversation that Jesus had with Peter? Turn with me back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. It's fascinating to hear Peter talk about this building being built and this recognition of Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Because while Jesus was, was still on this earth, before he had been crucified, risen, and ascended to heaven, he had a conversation with Peter, and in fact, all of his disciples. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I am, that the Son of Man is? Whom do men say that... I, the Son of Man, am. Well, they said to him, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and others, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There are lots of them, maybe Elisha or Elijah. And then Jesus, hearing this report of what people think of him and who they think he is, he asks them, But whom do but whom say ye that I am? He's personal. And I'll ask you the same question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he? Well, Simon Peter speaks up. Remember, Simon Peter's the guy who wrote the letter of 1 Peter where we're studying. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed, appointed chosen one, the Son of God. Oh, Jesus responds to Peter, and he says to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the guy who declared Jesus Christ to be the chosen one, the Christ and Jesus said to him, basically, what you've just said, me, is the, the, the Christ, the Son of God, you're right. You're right. And upon this rock, the reality that I am the Christ, I'm the rock. And this confession of that reality, upon this, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the region that he had this conversation, fascinating that it's recorded, was up north in a region where there actually was the pagan idolatrous worship center that Jeroboam the first had established in the Old Testament where he put one of his golden calves that by this time in Jesus' time had become a massive carved out shrine in the mountain. I got to see it a few years ago up there in Dan, far north. And they had put all their idols, and there was this big cave there. And it was described as the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. And Jesus is looking at this and saying, all that is the representatives of world's religion is not going to prevail against it. You see, he's going to build a church. See this one here? I just kind of knocked around and shifted things around, right? But when Jesus Christ, who is the foundation, who is the rock, the chief cornerstone, the one upon the whole church he will build, doesn't matter what's thrown at it. Nothing's going to prevail against it. Do you realize what kind of incredible reality that is for us as the lively stones who are built up, aligned with him as our chief cornerstone, and built upon him as our sure foundation? Oh, what glory that is. Turn with me back to Psalm 118, where this prophecy of Christ was first introduced. Psalm 118 is known as a messianic psalm, meaning that it's about the Messiah. It's about the Messiah. It's about the chosen one. In verse 22, Psalm 118, 22, it says this, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the quarter, corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is a day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light Bind the sacrifice with cords, even into the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will extol thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Do you see the scripture, the song, the psalm that Peter is referencing when he says, as the scripture saith? Oh, you see how it results in praise. You see how it results in exclamations of joy, de declarations of faith and trust. But there's a phrase here that is troubling. The builders refused? What is that? Well, this prophecy is a prophecy here in Psalm 118, written long before Jesus came up to a thousand years or more before Jesus actually, as the eternal Son of God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. But you know, in John chapter 1, where it says that the Word was God and that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, and it says there that He came into His own, but His own received Him not. Oh, those are the builders that rejected him here. And if we turn in our Bibles over, in Matthew, Jesus told of this situation 
in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is actually on his way into Jerusalem. By the way, the prophecy in Psalm 118 is a prophecy of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where the people will say, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word used in Psalm 118 here for save us now, save now, in Psalm 118, verse 25. So on that day when Jesus, just the week before he was crucified, was coming into Jerusalem on that donkey, the people were shouting and declaring, Save now! Hosanna! Save now! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! And as Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives on that donkey into Jerusalem, you remember he wept. And on that route, he told a parable. Listen to this parable. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they may receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son, the chosen precious one. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. He's saying this to the group in the crowd of people who are shouting, Save us, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus tells of this parable, foreshadowing what will come to pass within the week. For they are the husbandmen, and they have murdered the prophets. They have slain the prophets. And now the eternal Son of God himself has come to earth and become one of them. 
And even though here now many are shouting, save us, save us, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Jesus gives them this prophecy. He gives them this parable, speaking of himself as the chosen, precious cornerstone that they are about to reject. And he warns them of the great condemnation for the one who will stumble upon it as well as the one upon whom it will fall. There's a lot in here we don't have time to go into this morning, but there's a lot of references to different stones throughout the Bible. And one of the stones that's described as a stone of the kingdom of Christ, yet future, a stone made without hands that will come and fill the entire earth. Oh, what do you do with the stone? He's asking these people. I'm the stone what are you going to do with me? Look at verse 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. And you suppose that when they perceived they spake of them, they thought, ah, yes, let us align ourselves with this chief cornerstone. He's the stone. He's the rock of all ages. You think that's what they did? When they perceived that he was warning them no. Verse 46, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They were wanting to kill him. That's what it means, lay hands on him. They wanted to lay hands on him and tear him down and kill him. But they were afraid because the people considered him a prophet. But this conversation did not end here. The conversation continued over in the end of this time as he's coming into Jerusalem. In verse, in chapter 23, And verse 34, Jesus continues his warning. He's, he's pronounced seven woes upon these scribes and Pharisees. Woes, warnings. And then he goes and he turns and he says in verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood. Shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And then we read this tone of remorse. Oh, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, thou that killedest the prophets and stonedest them which are sent unto thee. How oft would I have gathered thee, thy children together, even as the hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left you desolate. Keep the picture of this house in mind. What's the house without the cornerstone? Desolate. 
For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He is quoting Psalm 118, where it's declared, Hosanna, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Those scribes and Pharisees were not of that crowd, and they would not be a part of that crowd, and they refused to be a part of that crowd. And, and what did Psalm 118 prophesy? The stone rejected? Peter, Jesus, how, how, did, how did he describe what would happen to those who rejected the stone? They, they, would, they would be broken. They'll be ground to powder. Paul expanded upon this in Romans chapter 9, which we are all out of time to cover. But it's parallel. You've got to read Romans chapter 9 in parallel with 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. To where Peter described it here, the one whom the builders was disallowed indeed of men, here described as this chief cornerstone. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter 2, verse 7. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, he's been writing to you about coming to this lively stone, about coming to Jesus, about aligning with him. And he says in verse 7, unto you therefore which believe he is precious. You have the same, or ought to, have the same opinion of the chief cornerstone that God does, that he's chosen and he's precious. That's true of believers. But to them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So here he is as the head of the corner. Now this has been all messed up and I don't have time to reset it here this morning. But basically what these elders have done, what these builders have done, can I even do this? I don't like this cornerstone. They didn't like this cornerstone. It's so gonna. I'm going to hurt myself doing this. Boy, this is harder than I thought it would. I didn't practice this. How do I get this stone out? Now I'm going to ruin my shoes. You know these builders, they're stubborn people. We don't like the cornerstone. Now I'm going to ruin a music stand. I just about hurt myself. I hope this is a vivid reminder. Don't reject the chief cornerstone. It will fall on you. And it will crush you. Grind you to powder. Don't reject the chief cornerstone. You see that stone? They rejected him. And in spite of their rejection, 
that chief cornerstone is precious. And in spite of it being rejected, rejected of Israel, it is set as the chief cornerstone, the lively stone. This morning, are you building your life upon this foundation? Are you coming unto him as a lively stone? Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word. That is the word of God that endures forever. That's the word whereby the gospel is preached unto you. Believe that word. Believe that word, and you will not be confounded. You will not be ashamed. You will not be confounded. But if you don't believe it, it is a rock of stumbling, and it is a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word, being disobedient. You see, the reason why they would come along and they stumble over, they trip over, Jesus is the stone, is because they're disobedient to the gospel. And Peter's writing, if we look back here into verse 1, I'm sorry, not verse 1, um, but um, verse 2, he speaks of them as those who have unto obedience. They're believers who have obeyed the gospel. But disobedience, they'll stumble. They'll fall. And if we take the other prophecies of Jesus, they will be crushed and confounded and ground to dust. And look at that last phrase. Wherein two also they were appointed. What does that say? We need to spend a little bit of time on this. Catch this. This is not teaching predestinated damnation. It's not what it's teaching. It is not what it is teaching. What is being described here is that there is an appointed judgment. Jesus described it, the wall falling down, crushing them. There is an appointed judgment for those who disobey and those who do not believe. This is not saying that God has elected people to eternal perdition or damnation or condemnation. This is saying that you have a way of escaping this because if you are obedient and believe the gospel, you will not have con be confounded. But rather, you will have life everlasting. You will be a living stone built up into the house of God whereby the Spirit of God lives within you and all of us together. This here, whereunto also they were appointed. They are not appointed to be disobedient, but rather the disobedient are appointed to judgment. But you don't have to be judged this morning. Instead, you can be a lively stone built up into a spiritual house with Christ as your chief cornerstone. And every day, no matter what you face, look back at verse 4. 
You've tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Every day come to him, draw nigh to him, acknowledge him as your chief corner stone. Oh God, we praise you this day and thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, to die for our sins, to be buried and to rise again, to ascend into heaven, to be now seated at your right hand. We thank you that to you he has chosen, to you he is precious. May he be the same to all of us. May we this day make him our sure foundation by faith, trusting in his finished work. And then, Lord Jesus, use us and build us up into your spiritual house. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Indeed, we are the temple of God. May we go forth with sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving as your holy priesthood. Lord Jesus, there are some here this morning who have not believed on you, who have not received forgiveness of sins and are not lively stones, but are appointed because of their disobedience and unbelief to judgment. May they know today that they need not experience that, but rather obey the gospel. Obey the gospel. Obey the good news that you've done all the work and you've provided a way of salvation and that you are life and that today they would believe in you and know you. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.